الله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا ونبينا وحبيب قلوبنا وشفيع نفوسنا أبي القاسم المصطفى محمد وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وعجل فرجهم صلى الله عليك يا أبا عبد الله We were discussing uh, the main events that led to and contributed to Ashura taking place. The main question was that how is it that this last grandson of the Holy Prophet, the last of the Ashabul Kisa, how is it that this person along with his companions and family and children are slaughtered and massacred on the day of Ashura? And we said that, you know, there are different approaches to this, to trying to dissect what happened, what went wrong. One approach is to, you know, you just zoom in on those people who actually drew their swords on the Imam and, and put the blame on them and be angry with them. But a better approach, a more uh, accurate approach to figure things out is to go back and see those things that indirectly even contributed to something like this happening, what they were exactly. To get a good picture uh, and a good idea of the picture in its entirety. Now when we go through each of these dots that we're going to be connecting in these lectures, I don't want anyone to jump to any conclusions that, you know, from day one, everyone, every one of these events took place with the intention of Ashura taking place. No, that is beyond the scope of these talks and lectures and, and what we find in history. It's too hard for some to be able to prove something like that. And it's really, I think personally, it's not very relevant either right now. What we're trying to figure out is what went wrong with the Muslim Ummah. And the relevance of this topic is that today even people will, will if they have this understanding and this way of looking at things, rather than just seeing the main bad guy that's directly involved in a crime. When Muslims look at things like this, they won't get fooled again. They won't make the same mistakes again. They'll be very careful not to make certain mistakes because there's a chance that 50 years from now, if we make certain mistakes and make the wrong decisions, that we might have to pay the price as a Muslim ummah in the future, even if we didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah, so it's upon the Muslimin to try their best not to let history repeat itself. So we were speaking about those events. The first event, um, the problem was that, the problem we were trying to solve is how is it if Banu Umayyah, represented by the likes of Muawiyah, if they were the ones who the Prophet didn't want rulership and authority and power and control to be in their hands, how is it that eventually this happened? Um, it, did it happen overnight? No. There were certain things that took place and eventually led to Bani Umayyah being in power and eventually a person like Yazid taking over and eventually Ashura taking place. The first of those mistakes, according to the Shi'i school of thought, as I've explained again and again, we are looking at things from a Shi'i perspective and we as Shi'a, anyone who's watching, we have to understand that this is a Shi'a perspective. Yes, the days where we would say, that anyone could say, oh, this is in Sunni sources, so they must accept. Look, they are going against their own books. Or the days where even our, our brothers and sisters from the Sunni school of thought say, oh, look, Shias, how dare you look at what you find in your sources. Yeah, Those days are over, brothers and sisters. 
People have answers these days. And so in the end, as I've said again and again, it is upon a mu'min, a believer, a person who's seeking the truth to look at both sides, see the, the challenges, see the questions that either side has, and um, come to a conclusion really. Yes, the days where we just say, oh, we find in Sunni sources, those days, those days are long over because that's not going to cut it, brothers and sisters. Um, there are answers. The same way the Shi'i school of thought will have answers when certain things in our literature are pointed out to us. We say, look, this is a weak hadith. This, we feel, is, is a falsified or a, or a fabricated hadith, and so on and so forth. Everyone is entitled to defend their ideology and their beliefs. But we try to go and be as objective as possible, but in the end, I will, we will say that yes, this is a Shi'i perspective on things. Okay, so having said that, the first event was the fact that what led to Khilafah falling in the wrong hands of Bani Umayyah and Yazid or Muawiyah, the first event that took place was that it did not allow Khilafah to fall in the right hands. And of course, this is that main point of contention between the Shi'i school of thought and the Sunni school of thought, that Khilafah was supposed to fall in the hands of Ali ibn Abi Talib. It didn't. So that is the first step for something to fall in the wrong hands, for it is, is for it to not to fall in the right hands. Yes, that's how the Shi'i school of thought sees it. Now, in the end of our previous lecture, I made a point that I now is going to be uh, the gateway to the next event that also plays a role in Bani Umayyah coming to power in the future. What is that? We ended on this note in our last, uh, in our last lecture, that um, when the bay'ah was taken in Saqifah for the first Khalifa, that account that uh, usually is used, is usually relied on, regarding the Khilafah and the Bay'ah for the first Khalifa in Saqifah, that is one that you find in, in Sahih al-Bukhari. And in that account towards the end, well not towards the end actually, it's towards the middle or the beginning of that actually account, it's towards the middle I would say. The second Khalifa is explaining that, yes, this Bay'ah that took place for Abu Bakr, it was kanat faltatan. It happened all of a sudden. You know, there was no choice and I explained that from a non-Shi'i perspective, what this might mean is that there was no choice but to take bay'ah for Abu Bakr or else the Ansar would come to power. And that would definitely go against the uh, guidelines and the wishes of the Holy Prophet that had said that the Quraysh will be the Imams after me or the Khulafa after me. So to, in order to get in, in front, uh, to, to um, prevent a great fitna, because if Ansar were to become Khulafa, no one would give them bay'ah and there would be a big schism in the uh, Muslim Ummah. It was a falta, it was, it was a falta. It happened all of a sudden, there was no choice. And Abu Bakr had to take this uh, bay'ah in order that things don't get out of hand and out of control. Now, law sallamna, for argument's sake, if this is accepted, yes, and this is the reasoning for it, that what took place in Saqifah took place because there was no other choice and it was to get into, to, it was for the greater good. Then the question that we left off on in our last lecture was that when the first Khalifa is passing away after two, year, two years and three, four months almost of his Khilafah, 
what happened? How was the second Khalifa chosen? Right? If in that account it says that it was a falta or else a person who doesn't consult the Muslimin, doesn't consult the, the rest of the believers, the Sahaba, in regards to who the next Khalifa is going to be, a person who does that, they are, they might be subject to death by others. They might lose their lives over this. The one that they have given bay'ah to, and the one who has taken bay'ah, if they do that without consulting the rest, yes, there's a chance that they get killed by the people. So it was a falta. It was all of a sudden it happened, and Allah protected us from the shar and evil that could have come out of that. But no one died. No one lost their life, no blood was shed over it. So this was the logic, brothers and sisters. So the question is, if that's the logic, then when the second Khalifa is to be chosen after the first one, then for sure, in this case, everyone has to be consulted so that you know, no, no, no division, no bloodshed takes place, no potential bloodshed takes place. That is what's supposed to happen. But this is what we left off on, that is this what happened or not? Of course, the Shi'i school of thought will say this did not happen when the first Khalifa is passing away and he is to choose the next Khalifa or the next, let's say it like this, the next Khalifa is to be chosen, it is not the case that the others were consulted on this, no. And this is where this idea of and this title of istikhlaf comes into the picture. Istikhlaf means to, to uh, make somebody the Khalifa after you. Very simple, to appoint a Khalifa after you. That's what istikhlaf means. Now, we want to talk about this istikhlaf and the istikhlaf of Umar ibn al-Khattab. This second event that the Shi'i school of thought believes was, was uh, an error again and was a mistake. The second mistake that the Muslim Ummah uh, suffered from. Why does the, the Shi'i school of thought say that? Well, as I said before, if, it was, if, if the first bay'ah took place for that reason, then that reason doesn't apply here anymore. The people have had time, the khulafa have had time now. Things have settled, two and a half years almost have passed. Yes, and so now it's, you, know, you can easily consult everyone. But did that happen? That's the question that we want to talk about in this lecture. It's very important. We'll start the conversation from here, that when we look at the main historical sources, when I say main, those primary ones, those first-hand ones, like At-Tabari and others, or like At-Tabaqat uh, of Ibn Sa'ad and these ones, who go back to like the 3rd or 4th century, um, uh, these, these authors of these books go back to the maybe 3rd century, like Ibn Sa'ad and them, um, if I'm not mistaken, something between the 3rd or 4th, I, usually I'm not very good at, with numbers, but yeah, they go all the way back to more than a thousand years ago, and their works are, are considered authoritative. When we look over there, what we find is this, brothers and sisters. What, we're gonna, what I'm going to explain to you today is that we will find a bare minimum that almost everyone agrees on. And there's an extra that we want to talk about as well. The amount that everyone agrees on is this, that you find in these historical sources, the, those initial ones, those primary ones, and ones that came after that based their history and their accounts off of or on, based them on those primary sources that we have like At-Tabari and others, what you find is that they say that Abu Bakr spoke to two of the Sahaba. That is the bare minimum that you find in all of them. For example, Tabari. In At-Tabari, you will only find this, that he spoke to two individuals. And you'll find this in other primary sources as well. Okay. Who did he speak to? Well, it goes like this, brothers and sisters. It says, 
that uh, he consulted the first that, one that he consulted. And these are famous stories. And if you watch um, uh, speakers of Ahlul Sunnah, they you know, explain these very nicely, these, these parts of the story. They'll say that Abdul Rahman bin Auf was uh, summoned by um, Abu Bakr, the first Khalifa. And so Abu Bakr asks him about Umar ibn al-Khattab, to which uh, Abdul Rahman bin Auf replies, and we have to remember, Abdul Rahman bin Auf is one of the grand Sahaba of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi One of the ten that have been promised Jannah, of course, in the Sunni sources. And so he says he is better than what you think. Umar al-Khattab that you've chosen is better than you think, in my opinion. But he has some harshness. And then Abu Bakr's response to this, that he says he has harshness, is that he says that is because he sees softness in me. But if things are left to him, you know, Khilafah is only on his shoulders and I'm gone, then he won't, be, he won't uh, deal the way he is with things. He won't be with things the way he is right now. He'll deal with them a little differently, meaning he'll be softer after I die. So that's the whole thing that you'll find, the whole discussion that you'll find between these two, or at least the main points of it. And then he also has a discussion with Uthman bin Affan, who later became the third Khalifa. He says, he asks Uthman what Uthman thinks. Uthman says what he is in, on his inside is better than what he is on his outside. It seems that Uthman is saying, look, if Umar is a little harsh on the outside, a little rough, um, on the inside, no, he's a very great human being. And there is no one like him amongst us, Uthman also says. In other words, this is the best choice for the Muslim Ummah. This is the minimum, brothers and sisters, that we find in all these books that are primary sources. I did, to an extent, extensive, uh, an extensive research into this. Um, I, I looked into as many books as I could. I uh, couldn't find anything other than this. But having said all of that, when we look at books that have come later, there's a book called At-Tarikh Al-Islami by Dr. Mahmoud Shakir. Famous book, famous, uh, I would say, like maybe even kind of like an encyclopedia. Very, uh, a lot of volumes. and Or like, you know, books that came later, like Tarikh Al-Khulafa of As-Suyuti, also I checked. You'll find in these, and even if you Google it, even if you Google it, or if you go on YouTube and you watch lectures on this, and I'll get to this later maybe, you'll find that, whoa, there's a whole additional number of Sahaba, of people who are added to the list of the ones who the, the first Khalifa consulted regarding who is going to, who, who to, who to choose to be the succeeding Khalifa. Right? So what you'll have is this, brothers and sisters. It'll say, وَشَاوَرَ مَعَهُمَا That after he spoke with Abdul Rahman bin Auf and Uthman, he also shawara ma'ahuma Sa'id ibn Zayd. Sa'id bin Zayd is another one of these Ashra al mubashirin bil Jannah, the ones who've been promised Jannah. Of course, once again, according to the Sunni school of thought. Wa Usaid bin Hudayr wa ghayrahuma min al muhajirin wal ansar. It says that in addition to Abdul Rahman bin Auf and Uthman bin Affan, he also spoke to two other major uh, Sahabis and also other Sahaba of the Muhajireen and the Ansar, both sides as well. Of course, there's no mention of Ali in all of this. That is something to keep in mind. But I guess he falls under the 
quote unquote, the rest of the muhajireen. Um, but then the question is this, we have two things to talk about, brothers and sisters. Number one, when we look at, once again, primary sources and secondary ones, yes, what we find is that this has not been alluded to in them at all. That the, and as a matter of fact, when you look at the wording of these books, the, the wording implies that no one was actually consulted, maybe other than those two that were mentioned, Abdul Rahman and Uthman. I'm going to share with you five, five uh, clues, five excerpts from different works that imply such. And they're not going to be all be firsthand. Firsthand in the sense of, you know, going back to like the third century after Hijrah or anything like that. But maybe fifth or sixth century books even. You look at the wording, you feel like the, the author of this book wasn't convinced that uh, other than these two were uh, consulted. For example, the first one, I just want to look at the wording of Tabari itself. The wording of Tabari itself is this, it says, Ashraf Abu Bakr al-Nas min kanifihi wa asma' bint Umayis mumsikatuhu. It says that Abu Bakr came out, you know, entered upon the people, came out upon the people, while Asma' bint Umayis, his wife, is holding him so that he probably doesn't fall, he was probably ill. And it says, Are you happy with whoever I choose over you? And make Khalifa over you? And he says, I tried my best to you know, find somebody that's good, I've, and I have, I've, I've even chosen someone who's not related to me, just so they don't say that he was biased or anything. I have put, I have made Omar, I have made Omar Khalifa, not I'm thinking of him or anything like that. He says, I have made him the Khalifa. Um, the people said, he said, so I want you to obey, listen and obey. And the people said, we listen and we obey. All right, let's just look at the wording of even this one. Of course, Tabari will be a primary source here. The wording implies, and there's no mention of anything else, of any other Sahaba. Yes? All it says is that he came out upon the people and he said, I have chosen him. Yes? So this implies that no one else really was consulted. Yes, Tabari himself, as I said, he does say that Abdurrahman bin Auf and Uthman were consulted. But other than that, this is what it says. This is the wording of it. So this implies that no, no, no one else was consulted. So where is that other account coming from? We'll talk about that, inshallah. The next one is from Tariq al-Khulafa. Um, and in Tariq al-Khulafa, he quotes, the author of Tariq al-Khulafa, Suyuti, he quotes Ibn Sa'ad and al-Hakim. Uh, you know, Sahib al-Mustadrak, the author of al-Mustadrak. That Ibn Mas'ud said, yes, that Sahabi of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, he said, the most clever ones were three, أَفْرَسُنْ nas thalatha. Three people were the smartest. The first one that he mentions is Abu Bakr hina stakhlatha Umar. That Abu Bakr was the smartest. And by the way, when I say Tariq al-Khulafa, which is not a second or third century work, it might be later on, sixth, seventh century, maybe something in that neighborhood, or maybe more or less, I don't know, give or take. Once again, I'm not good with numbers. If Tariq al-Khulafa is such, the reason why I'm mentioning it is because when you watch these, uh, the anti-Shi'i scholars when they're discussing these matters, they'll tell you. They'll tell you like, these are books to read in regards to the history of what happened. So okay, let's go see what they say. He says that uh, Abdullah, that bin, Ibn Mas'ud said that there were three 
who were very smart. The first one was the first Khalifa when he istakhlafa Umar. When he chose, when he made Umar the Khalifa and appointed him as Khalifa. Alright, the question is this. Why would Ibn Mas'ud say that this was an exhibition of um, the first Khalifa being clever? This is an example of him being clever. Because when you read these books, you'll find that scattered across of them, of course the Shi'i school will disagree here, that it'll even reach a point where Ali ibn Abi Talib says that he, the second Khalifa, is the best to succeed the first Khalifa. Ali ibn Abi Talib says it. We don't believe in that, but you know. So everyone knows that the second Khalifa and Umar ibn al-Khattab is the one to succeed. Yes? The thing is though, that is this, the question is this, does this, is this what makes the first Khalifa one of the smartest? The fact that he identified the second Khalifa as the one to be appointed? Well, everyone apparently, according to the sources that are there, um, everyone had identified him, yes? And we might get to some of those uh, excerpts later as well. If everyone had identified him, then this doesn't make him the smartest. So it seems that he was smart in the fact that not he identified, but the way he put him in power after him. Yes, and when you read in on, when you read into this a little bit, or read on this a little bit, you find that they say that this was the most seamless transfer and smoothest transfer of power from one Khalifa to another. After that, when you look at it, it's not as seamless as this one. So the way he, he pulled this off, the way he did it, was the best way, was the most clever. And that makes him the most clever of people. Because when you look at it, brothers and sisters, when you look at Islamic history, after the second Khalifa, and maybe the third Khalifa, after that, I mean, even the third Khalifa being appointed, and we'll get to that later, that happened through a six-person council, and there was, you know, there was some argument and difference of opinion on, in that. But after that, it's like bloodshed, bloodshed. Uthman is assassinated, Ali ibn Abi Talib is assassinated, Imam Hassan you know, has to you know, do the peace treaty with Muawiyah, and it doesn't go well, according to the Shi'i school at least. And after that, you have all the way till Mukhtar and what he did, and uh, Abdullah bin Zubair, and Marwan, and Sham, and everyone's just killing each other after that. So here, the fact that Abu Bakr was able to seamlessly, quote-unquote, transfer this power, that process and that means is what puts him at that li in that list of the top three smartest according to Ibn Mas'ud. The other two that he mentions are irrelevant. I don't want to get into that right now. Alright, so this is another one. It shows that it happened very smartly, very wisely, in a clever fashion. It implies, there will be answers to this once again, I think, but some might say. But all in all, next we have Ibn Kathir of, in, in, in his book of Al-Bidayah and Nihayah, and we all know, uh, or some of us might know, the uh, where Ibn Kathir stands. Of course, he is he is uh, affected and has taken uh, is from the you can say school of Ibn Taymiyyah and Al Dhahabi and so on. So you'll be sure that he won't have any pro Shi'i stances, right, or bias. Excuse me. And so in his book, when we look at the wording that he uses, he says, "Wa fi in the middle of his sickness that he died from, the first Khalifa chose Umar ibn al-Khattab. And the one who wrote this declaration 
that Umar is going to be the Khalifa afterwards was who? With Uthman bin Affan. And this was read to the people. They listened, they heard, and they obeyed. And that was it. They, they said, we're good with this. All right, so this wording shows that, once again, it implies that there was no consultation happening. I mean, if anyone's going to talk about this, it should be a person like Ibn Kathir. Tariq al-Khulafa, I read to you um, one of the things that he says in Tariq al-Khulafa. Now I want to read to you another thing that he also says in Tariq al-Khulafa, which uh, the Shia will, of course, disagree with, but I'm using this for argument's sake again. That it says, when Abu Bakr felt like it's time, the time has come, Ashrafa ala nas, he comes out upon the people. nas I have made uh, a decision for you. Yes, a binding decision for you. Are you okay with it? And the people said, Yeah, we're okay with it. O Khalifa Rasulillah. And then here, Faqama Aliyun, this is the part I said Shia will disagree. Faqama Ali. Ali got up and said, La Narda illa ayakuna Umar. We are not happy with anyone except Umar ibn al-Khattab. فَقَالْ or قَالْ فَإِنَّهُ Umar. Yes, the, Abu Bakr said, yes, the, the, it is Umar. So don't worry. The one that everyone knows had to be chosen is the one that I have chosen as well. But look, at the beginning of it, it shows that there was no consultation. And finally, Rasul Ja'faryan, one of the contemporary Shi'i historians, he says, he says that, and now, this is a very secondary source. Um, but it is, this is something that we call Tajmi' al-Qara'in. If we have more stronger sources, then we have the weaker ones that come and also um, are a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of the uh, kind of icing on the cake, or you're sprinkling this on the cake kind of thing. Where it says that he quotes Ibn Abdul Bar. Uh, I didn't look where. Ibn Abdul Bar says this, is it in his isti'ab? Probably that's where it is. Where he asks, Abu Bakr asks a person that, what do the people think of my choice of Umar? So he has made the decision, he has let the people know. He answered, this person says, um, some are happy, some are upset. So then the first Khalifa asks, which ones are more happy, which ones are higher in number? The ones that are more happy, the ones that are happy, or the ones who are unhappy and dissatisfied. He says, no, the ones who are dissatisfied are more in number. And so the first Khalifa says, the face of truth might not be very pleasant at first glance. But in the end, it is what has to happen. It is in the best interests of Islam. So here also, what we're trying to get out of this is that, okay, so it seems that others were not consulted. This was a decision that was made by the first Khalifa. All right, so that logic of, you know, we want to make sure that in, in Saqifah, we do bay'ah for Abu Bakr so that nothing goes wrong. Yes, that logic is supposed to be applied here as well. And now that people have time, the first Khalifa has time to sit down and discuss with others and discuss with the people actually. Who says that the, only the grand Sahaba have to be consulted? Maybe all the people also need to be consulted. If that logic was there, then it has to apply here too, and they should have done this. But according to what we have so far covered, it didn't happen. Now, we have though one account that I want to share with you where this does happen. Yes, and they say it did happen. We want to break that down, inshallah ta'ala. 
So what does it look like? Going back to that account that I spoke of a little bit in the beginning, that a book by the name of At-Tariq al-Islami by Mahmoud Shakir, or for example, Tariq al-Khulafa, or as I said, even if you Google it even, you will find some places are talking about, some websites will talk about this, that in addition to Abdul Rahman bin Auf, in addition to Uthman bin Affan, the Khalifa also spoke to others, two by name it mentions them, Usaid bin Hudayr and Sa'id bin Zayd, and also others of the Muhajirin Ansar of the Sahaba. It says that they, also, they were also consulted. And brothers and sisters, you watch lectures from the English-speaking world, you watch lectures, Arabic-speaking world, um, they will be speaking about this. They will say it with confidence that yes, everyone was consulted. And it's very sad because when you try to find where this account comes from, you find that there's a bigger story here. And it goes like this. The story goes like this, and then I'm going to break it down for you, inshallah. That it says that uh, the first Khalifa came out and told the people, the time is coming, I know it's time for me to leave this dunya, and I think that it's better for us and for all of you to choose a Khalifa while I'm still alive in order to not allow fitna to take place. Think about it, if I die, <laughs> now this is the explanation, and this explanation applies to the Holy Prophet too, I don't know why, other than the Prophet will understand this, but the Holy Prophet didn't understand this, so it seems, according, not, not according to the Shi'i school, of course. That he says that it is better for you to choose someone while I'm still alive. Yes? So that fitna doesn't take place after I pass away. Okay? All right. There will be division. They all discussed. They all sat down, discussed amongst themselves now. The Sahaba, the people, whoever. And everyone was avoiding this responsibility, not wanting to take on this responsibility of being the Khalifa after the first Khalifa. And so once they saw that they're not coming to a conclusion, they said, Oh, Abu Bakr, you choose the first Khalifa, the second Khalifa after you. Yes? And so that's when he went and he started inviting first Abdul Rahman bin Auf, then Uthman, then others of the Muhajirin Ansar, Sa'id bin Zaid and uh, Usaid bin Hudayr and these ones. So that part is part of a bigger story, brothers and sisters, that I just shared with you. This story you will find in uh, these books that I said, these later books that came, later books that came, like this Tariq al-Islami, which is maybe not too far back, and also others that go back, like Tariq al-Khulafa and those types of books. So I really had to try my best to find where this is. And finally, it traced back to uh, the great scholar Ibn al-Jawzi. Ibn al-Jawzi of, uh, I think, the 7th uh, century, if I'm not mistaken, once again. Um, late 7th century. Um, and so, what does he say? In a book called Manaqib Amir al-Mu'mineen Umar ibn al-Khattab, he has a book by this name. In that book, he, he narrates something that has a chain he says, I heard from so-and-so, if I can find it here, let me see. He says, Anil Hassan bin Abil Hassan qal, that Hassan bin Abil Hassan has narrated that this happened. Okay. Where did you get this from though? 
Nowhere, brothers and sisters, where I was able to find where this comes from. So it seems that it is an initial report by him. And so I tried to find a muhaqqaq version of his book, of this book um, of Ibn al-Jawzi. And I found it, alhamdulillah, I found one. Uh, I forgot the title of it, and I forgot the muhaqqaq of it, but what is meant by muhaqqaq, a muhaqqaq version of a book is that a researcher will come, a contemporary researcher will come and will go through the text of a book, of usually a classical book, and will uh, put footnotes there. If there's a verse of Qur'an in there, they'll put the address there. If there's another th fact of history there, they will put the, where that person got it from, if they can find the address and reference for it, and so on and so forth. If there is a chain of narrators, for example, they, that, that muhaqqiq, that researcher will share their opinion regarding how strong or weak that chain is. If there is a chain that is not complete and they know how to complete it or reconstruct it, they will do that. And so what we found was that although Ibn al-Jawzi in, uh, in the manuscripts that they have of his book, he has not mentioned who Ibn Abil, who Hassan bin Abil Hassan got it from, this report, but the muhaqqiq of this book, he has uh, completed that chain. What does that chain look like? That chain says, حدثنا سيف عن طلحة بن عبد الرحمن القرشي عن الحسن بن أبي الحسن قال Alright, and uh, in this lecture is a little technical, I apologize. Um, but this is a very touchy subject and I just want to make sure that, you know, if the Shia says something, there's, at least we have done a little bit of homework. Um, once again, if there's anything that is missed, it will be appreciated if it is brought to our attention and we're educated about it. But this is as far as my very humble um, uh, research uh, went. That the muhaqqiq of this book, he completes the chain like this. That the one who narrates to Ibn al-Jawzi is apparently, I mean, if we're not getting it wrong here, Saif, who narrates from Talha, who narrates from Hassan bin Abil Hassan, and narrates this story. Okay, so that's the chain. Once again, if this is the complete chain, because Ibn al-Jawzi, if he's in the seventh century, then that means there, there should be more wusata in this chain, it seems. But let's just say that this is the complete chain. I don't know. Hadathana Saif. There's a problem with this chain of narrators, brothers and sisters, and that is a person by the name of Saif. Now, Saif, it doesn't say which Saif this is, but when you look at the previous chain of narrators in that same book, the Saif that's mentioned there is Saif bin Omar. Saif bin Omar, everyone knows, is a controversial figure both in Shi'i and Sunni schools. Um, he has weird narrations, and uh, he's not very, he's usually taken with a grain of salt what he will narrate. Um, one reason why the Shi'i school doesn't like him too much is because he's the narrator of the whole story of Abdullah bin Sabat, which they say is, you know, the founding father of Shi'i school of thought, which is totally false, and none of the Shi'a accept that. But anyway, so. You look in the first initial sources, the primary sources of history, you don't find anything mentioned of this version of the story. That he first spoke to everybody, then everyone put the responsibility on him, the first Khalifa, to go choose. And then he started calling Sahaba to himself and asking them what they think. All you find is Uthman and Abdul Rahman bin Auf being uh, consulted. That's it. This story comes later. And the only place I found it was here. 
And then books that come later, like at Tariq al-Islami, they get it from Ibn al-Jawzi in his book, Manaqib Amir al-Mu'minin Umar ibn al-Khattab. Yeah. And then these lecturers and speakers on YouTube that you will find, English, Arabic, whatever, it seems that they've gotten it from things like this as well. But it just makes more sense. And it seems this is why they're inclined to use this account of the story. But the, but the conclusion that we draw, brothers and sisters, is that we can't rely on this, uh, this, part, this, this part of the story that he asked everyone first. No. Um, he appointed Umar ibn al-Khattab and that was about it really. Alright. Having said all of that now, let's go back to the story itself. So, what do we have so far? Two Sahaba were consulted. Then, the people are informed of this decision. How were they informed? It says that a letter was written. Abu Bakr was, in, was lying in his bed. He was ill and Uthman was writing next to him. He said, write. He told Uthman to write, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. This is the ahad, this is the will of Abu Bakr to the people. Abu Bakr bin Abi Quhafa to the people. And then he went unconscious. And here it says, Uthman finished the line for him. That verily I have made Umar Khalifa over you and I couldn't think of anyone better than him. And when he regained his conscience, Abu Bakr, he said, and these are details that brothers and sisters have already heard probably. He said, let me see what you wrote. Uthman shows him that I wrote this, that you are choosing Umar. He said, very good, this is what I had in mind. And so this letter is written, this declaration is written. And then we have also, we have this in Tabari. I don't know if this is accepted by everybody, but it is in Tabari also. It says that uh, after that, Umar ibn al-Khattab was sitting with the people and holding a, a jarida, like a stick or a branch or something in his hand, and telling the people, O oh people, listen and listen to and obey the command of the Khalifa of Rasulullah meaning Abu Bakr. He says he has made the best decision for you. It says Umar had the servant of Abu Bakr, his name was Shadid, um, sitting next to him, and he was holding the document in which Umar had been declared the Khalifa. So these are some of the things that took place, brothers and sisters. And I talked about these details of it because this has to do with the topic and theme that we're talking about, brothers and sisters, these days. That look, the first mistake was that Khilafah was withheld from the one it was supposed to go to. Then it was also withheld from the second one. Uh, through the second event, it was also withheld from the person it was supposed to end up with, Ali ibn Abi Talib. And by what means? Not the same excuses that we would have for Saqifah. They don't apply here anymore. That it was a faltah. That it was something that happened all of a sudden. There was no choice but to do it you know, on the spot without getting everyone's approval. Here at least, there should have been the approval of, of all the people. But there, we don't have that in. Um, in these sources. Now, having said all of that, there are two more points that I want to make and I'm going to end. Number one is that Rasul Ja'faryan, um, once again, he is a Shia contemporary historian. He says something interesting here. He says that by appointing the next Khalifa, and I want us to understand this is why I'm covering this event because it has to do with the dots that we're connecting as we move forward to Ashura. By appointing the next Khalifa without consulting the Ummah, the doors to the Khilafah becoming a monarchy were opened. True, the first Khalifa did not choose a relative of his. But at the end of the day, he chose directly himself without there being that form of, now in today's terms, democracy. I don't want to say that. But without consulting anyone else. At least all, you know the grand Sahaba that were alive during his time. At least the Ashra al-Mubashirin bil-Jannah. Ali ibn Abi Talib's name was not mentioned. 
Talha's name was not mentioned. Yes, you will find in the sources that Talha comes later and objects. And he tells the first Khalifa, what are you going to answer Allah on the Day of Judgment? That you put someone harsh over us. You have these things, but you won't have that he consulted them or anything like that. And others also objected because of the harshness. And I told you what his answer was. He says, this is the best decision. And his harshness will become softened to an extent once I leave this dunya. That was his answer. Okay. So the doors to monarchy were opened. Because monarchy has two pillars, they'll say. Number one, you choose who you want. Two, it's a relative of yours. Usually that's how it, how, how it works, right? Here, he chose the one he felt he needs to choose after himself. Now, it wasn't his relative, but that first pillar came. Later on, Muawiyah made sure the second one also happened, that it was his relative, it was his son that he chose and, and appointed for him after him. And Rasul Jafaryan says this, I didn't look into it further. He says that Marwan bin Hakim, as a matter of fact, because Marwan, his children all became Khalifa after him, yes, his descendants. Marwan, his justification for such, for doing such, was that the first Khalifa appointed, so why can't I, if I'm the Khalifatul Muslimin as well? All right, these are the thoughts that are connecting slowly, brothers and sisters. Finally, what does Amir al Mu'minin and Nahj al Balagha think of this appointment of? Uh, the second Khalifa. In that famous khutbah, um, khutbah number three, which some of the great historians have said it's not a public sermon that was delivered. It was Imam Ali speaking to Ibn Abbas and kind of venting to him. He was upset about things. Anyway, that's a, there's a difference of opinion on that maybe. But anyway, what he says is this. This is the important part is that he says when he's speaking about the first Khalifa transferring power to the second one. That it is strange that during his lifetime, the first Khalifa, he wished to be released from the Khilafah. You know, Try to, he was trying to give it up to someone else. He wasn't interested. He wished to be released from the Khilafah, but he confirmed it for the other one after his death. If you don't care for it, then why are you giving it to someone else after yourself? No doubt these two shared its others strictly amongst themselves. They, were, they had stuck to the udders of this Khilafah and not really letting anyone else get close to it. This one put the Khilafah, the first one, the first Khalifa, put the Khilafah in the hands of one whose words were harsh, whose touch was rough. Mistakes were in plenty. In other words, there were mistakes that were made in the 10 years that he was Khalifa. And so also the apologies, therefore. So according to Nahj al-Balagha, this was a mistake and our next topic, the next event that we want to talk about inshallah is one of those things that took place in the, during the Khilafah of the second Khalifa that plays a very, very major and pivotal role in things slowly, slowly turning in favor of and becoming in favor of uh, the Bani Umayyah in eventually taking power. Assalamu ala al Hussein. وعلى علي بن الحسين وعلى أولاد الحسين وعلى أصحاب الحسين